You're listening to the Level 5 Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the subjects that matter in business and management. As, as you know, uh, I always say great brands start with an even greater vision. <laughs> vision is not something that um, everybody is able to actually create, articulate, and then socialize to develop a company around. And you've been so successful in doing that. You know, 19 years ago, uh, you and Francine, your mom, um, started the company. And today it's in multiple countries. Uh, it's a multi-million dollar company. It's basically changing um, the, the whole uh, business model around feminine hygiene in many, many developing markets. So you've really, you've done so many things in such a short period of time, but what's that journey been like for you? What's, what's it like to be a successful female entrepreneur that's changing the world? <laughs> uh, that's probably going to be the hardest question to answer because it's just been such a, a crazy journey in so many ways. I mean, we literally started from the kitchen table and and then um, when we started developing the idea and wanting to reinvent this old concept that was from the 1930s that we just saw this opportunity for and needed to be modernized and brought to the world, like we literally had no idea what we were doing. And, and I'm gonna be very honest and upfront with, with my answers today. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't even think I realized when we went from kind of startup to being a successful business, it's just continually evolved. And there's been so many challenges in every stage of our business, but particularly in the beginning, uh, we faced a lot of resistance and a lot of rejection. And that was one of the hardest things to overcome. Um, as a, was that, as, what was the resistance around? So everything. I mean, it, and even just finding a manufacturer to, to make the product for us. We mm. had a hard time having anyone taking us seriously. Really? And didn't want to work with us. And we're like, well, who are these women that want to make this cup? I mean, they, we literally had, we had um, silicone companies. Actually, when we figured out we were going to make it out of silicone, that took a while to, to we, we didn't know what to make it out of. And the silicone companies didn't want to work with us. And then finally, we found this rep at the sales rep at GE Silicones, which ended up turning into Momentive. And it was in the Canadian office because the American office didn't even want to talk to us. Like they literally laughed at, laughed at me on the phone. And when I finally got, got through to somebody. And so this guy called me back and he just, I don't know what it was. He just saw our passion and energy. And he said, I think I have someone that might be willing to work with you. And it was a small company in Bolton and they were just getting started. So they needed customers and they had the time and they were just like a tiny mom and pop silicone manufacturer, uh, originally from uh, Austria. And it was a husband and wife. uh, And one was from Boston, one was from Austria. And they came together and they were gonna make, they had one machine and they took the time to help us uh, develop the product. 
So after it took us about two years to get the product actually made and get it approved by Health Canada and FDA. And by that point, I was already exhausted. <laughs> Is this ever going to get off the ground? I mean, it was, we really had no funding. My, my mom had some savings and we got a $50,000 loan from the bank, which was the miracle that they even gave us any money. But my mom had a good relationship and she already had another business that was making money. So I said, okay, we'll give you the money. And so we were able to pay for our tooling and kind of get that started. Um, but once we launched the product, that was in March of 2003. And I remember really believing that within a year, we would be in mass market distribution across Canada and starting into the US. I truly believed that was gonna happen. And I remember going to trade shows and telling customers, yeah, I'd look for it in Shoppers Drug Mart next spring. And this was like in the fall before. And little did I know it was actually gonna take 11 years to get into Shoppers Drug Mart. And um, yeah, we struggled a lot. We, when we, (laughs) sorry, what did you say? Just to get it listed. Just to get it listed. And I learned that it doesn't work like like that. You have to, there's a process, you have to, you know, build the brand, build the demand, build the capabilities. I mean, thank God we didn't get into anywhere because we would have destroyed the company because we would not have been ready. I mean, just to even get the the packaging capabilities and the assembly and all of that stuff, that took us years really to get to ramp up, to be able to even handle the volumes over the years as we grew. And I think within about maybe, it was about four or five years, we had already grown the company to about $2 million. Um, No, maybe longer than that. I think I'm, I'm totally messing up the years. They kind of all blurred together. I think it was longer actually. By 2011, so that was um, almost 10 years after we started, we had grown it to about $3 million company. But it's a lot of of persistence and hitting the pavement. Well, I want to ask you, just, I want to go back on that because you've said you, you, you were met with a lot of resistance to the idea, to the, to to you. But what is it? And, 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 it wasn't once or twice there it was many years of pushback and and rejection and resistance as an entrepreneur as a female entrepreneur what is it that you dug deep deep down to be able to have to allow for that resistance to be met and you kept you kept pushing forward you and your mom well i think part of it was that we had each other and she was so she was so supportive and we just we really we're so passionate. I can't even explain to you how badly we wanted this out there. That was one part of it, but it took a lot of education and, and especially in a category in a subject that has so much taboo at that time, people were, would blush if we even said the word period in a meeting, they would be, they didn't even want to bring it up uh, with the buyers and most of our buyers in the early days were actually men and a lot of them were like gray-haired men 
that we were that we were facing they were making the decisions for the category yeah. because at that time the category was very established it hadn't really seen any change in decades this was the category they knew exactly how to price everything this is how often everything ran promotions anything new in the category wasn't really new it was just new packaging or like this one has a different shape wing or whatever, but it wasn't really, there wasn't really any innovation. So, when we so came in many to ways you, you were having to teach as well as sell, but you were having to teach the category a whole new way, a whole new concept. That, that, yeah. that can't be easy. No, and then you can imagine um, in, in retail, all the categories have kind of ambassadors from each of the big companies like P&G and Unilever, like they, they have a say in what comes into the category. So then we had those guys trying to keep us out. And we had the buyers that did not understand the product, why we would ever need this. And why would you sell something to someone that's reusable, that's going to take someone out of the category for a whole year? That doesn't make sense from a profit, right. profitability. And that's really all they care about is where's the profit in, right. in my category. That's how their, their uh, success is judged on. And then we had the consumer side, which was another, another uphill battle. And still today is an uphill battle to convince women to try something new and to uh, get more intimate with their body that they may not be used to and there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges so um and what was the insight that like, you, what was the insight that you finally got to that allowed you to convince women to try this new concept well it really it really was word of mouth and the success of people that did try it so you always in the marketing cycle, you have these early adapters and people that are adopters and the people that are are willing to take a risk. And a lot of our initial initial sales were person to person. So we we did 15 plus trade shows a year. Every weekend we were going to women's shows, we were going to this show, that show, health fairs there would be like a, a park set up in Toronto, anywhere that was going to be a lot of people, we would be there and we would talk and, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day until we were blue in the face and educating people about it. And women would, would buy it. And, and slowly the word of mouth. And I think what we were really fortunate about was we had a product that actually changed women's lives. And once they did try it, once they took that leap, it was just so beyond anything that they've, they've tried before. I, I was telling you about my uh, RV trip that we just went on. And, you know, when I think about the days of going camping in a tent and, and going into an RV and we had a shower and a, a toilet and running water and electricity and it was just like magical. It was just such a so, such night and day and that's how really the Diva Cup is um, for compared to the, the products that are available. Um, it just provides so many benefits. So really a lot of a lot of like 
just pounding the pavement with education around um, around the actual features and benefits. But something kind of magical happened along the way where all of a sudden we were starting a lot of conversations around periods in also a category and a topic that isn't talked about. And all of a sudden people were, um, were starting to, starting to understand you know these benefits and then try it and it's like life-changing and they're talking about it and telling their friends and and then we started getting involved in a lot of a lot of things that we were passionate about in our um in our kind of philanthropic and uh, support with different organizations and we really became part of a movement that has just gained an incredible amount of momentum. I know we're going to talk about that later, but yeah. that's something that's uh, that really supported us along the way. Uh, you did say one thing. The one thing, you, an entrepreneur, you got to believe in yourself. Um, but to have people around you who believe in you and support you is just as important. And your mother did that. Your, I know your family did that. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, you, you, you can't, discount how important that is especially when you're having to go to that next trade show and you're doing it again and again and again it's it's, uh it is tough so as a successful entrepreneur um today what gets you excited what gets you up every morning um now i know some of the things you've done with that hbo documentary and so you've done all kinds of interesting things but maybe maybe you could share some of that with uh folks on the line sure well you know it's interesting david because we did make such an impact in people's lives and that continues to be a driving factor for me and you know challenging and we're at a point now in the company where we're challenging ourselves how else can we add value what else can we uh, give back to our consumers because um, we're we're always trying to find ways to add value for them but what really gets me excited is is our uh corporate social responsibility efforts and our uh, program that we call Diva Cares. And through Diva Cares, we've created so many meaningful partnerships with different organizations and really helping to work towards eradicating the problem of period poverty, which is the lack of accessibility to menstrual supplies. And it's it's just such a it's so heartbreaking to see in this in this day and age there's still so many people, um, and and right here in Canada that can't afford menstrual supplies. And so, as I was just going to say, I, I, that the thing that got me in that HBO documentary is you, you might think of this as being a um, terrible thing, but it's a, a thing in the developing world. And in fact, uh, your HBO show, no, it's happening right in our backyard. Um, through the uh, the penitentiary and correctional system, I mean yeah. places that uh, you, you just wouldn't think about. So um, you've had a real impact. And so is that the kind of thing that just every day you're always looking for a new way to change the world? Yeah, I and I think that's part of um, really a key to any successful business. And maybe your next book can be about this topic because. I just think that they go hand in hand now today. And I got personally to a point where 
I was almost bored. I just, we had been at it for so long and I wasn't really connecting to the consumer anymore. Uh, our company had grown. I think I was also burnt out from, you know, uh, becoming a mother and all, and just the pressures of the business. And, and it wasn't until we really embraced and took this, this to the next level that I really got excited about the business again. Yeah. And not what the side effect of that was, um, our consumers loved it too. And they felt connected, more connected to our brand. And it has really had a big impact on growing our brand by becoming a certified B Corp. And just by having a, a product and a company and a brand that stands for more than profit. And that's a, that's a good statement. Yeah. Anyway, you just said something because I, I want to move on to your discussion about how you developed a brand, but um, you just talked about, you know, full-time CEO, but you're also a mom with two kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> with the schedule you keep, maybe you just very quickly talk about how do you balance all of that? Yeah. And do that, it well. That has, I, I would not say I've always done it well. Um, I, I really, made a lot of mistakes when my kids were little. Um, my daughter's actually about to turn 11 and my son's about to turn 10. So they're 16 months apart. It was the hardest time of my life when uh, in 2009, when I became a mother for the first time. And um, I really didn't, didn't even surround myself with enough support because I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. But for, you know, those, those early years are a blur and I ended up burning myself out completely and experiencing a lot of health issues that uh, really forced me to slow down and, and build a, a better support system and a, a better team to, to do the business. Cause we always try to do everything ourselves. Yeah. And it's kind of the entrepreneur in you. Yeah. Right? That's what that's what entrepreneurs do. And becoming a mother forced me to really make that shift. And that really um, helped build the business as well. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning into Strategy Lounge, the Level 5 podcast. To learn more about our work, please visit level5strategy.com.